certain hack attempts happen. I've been a part of one myself. What do you mean? It's not even a new architecture. There's some debate. Is it going to go some to the treasury? Some's going to be burnt. There's a lot of debate there. Where are you on that issue? I think it should be. Um, Let's fucking go. Space Monkeys blasting off with Phil Lusak. He's a co-founder of Lastic and a longtime contributor to the Polkadot ecosystem. Phil, very glad to have you in here. Welcome to Space Monkeys. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So this new project, Lastic, kind of on the frontier of Polkadot 2.0, and let's get there in a little bit. But maybe you could bring us back to when you started working on the Polkadot project, or I guess with Parity, it was a little bit pre-Polkadot? Well, it was around that time. It was post-white uh, paper when I started at Parity. That was at the very end of 2017. I was working in Berlin for a Web 2.0 company, and I was really um, getting tired of teaching people about blockchain and really was getting the itch to learn more and be involved again. Sure. And I was out at a bar with those friends, those coworkers. I noticed uh, the news came up of the parody multi-sig hack. And I thought, well, I do communications. Uh, this would be a fun challenge. And I already knew of Parity's amazing experience and pedigree of talent. Uh, so I applied like uh, the next week. And uh, yeah, that's when I started at Parity. What role were they looking to fill? I did an initiative application, which I recommend to a lot of people. Just like, if you like a company, just reach out to them and say, hey, is there anything for me? They yeah. didn't have a job posted. And I reached out and uh, they got back to me. Nice. My first interview was with Bjorn at a Vietnamese restaurant. He later told me he wanted to just, he just wanted to go eat there. <laughs> but that was a really good uh, interview. Uh, I, I really liked Bjorn. Uh, is, is like kind of not what I was expecting from Parody, like a very engineering heavy team. Mm. And he was really charismatic and uh, knew a great, uh, he had a great technical knowledge uh, of Polkadot and Ethereum as well. Mm. Then I had an interview with uh, Yuta, the then CEO. And then I had an interview with Gav himself. And that, that was in, right around the corner from the Parody office at a coffee shop. And I remember being, yeah, like I knew Gav, I knew about him for a while. I actually talked to him before in 2014 when he came to Berlin to do uh, an Ethereum talk at a Bitcoin meetup. And that was uh, <laughs> when I asked him a question about, I mean, something around governance. I didn't have the words at the time. So I was already interested in governance. And when he came out with Polkadot, uh, it seemed like a really great step forward. What was your question? I was aiming at, you have all these different applications with their own interests yeah. running on a singular legal system. How is that going to work? Mm -hmm. And I don't remember his answer, but I remember being felt like unsatisfied with his answer. Right. And as we did see with all the conflicts of interest and all these people want to do these upgrades, but it doesn't serve the network and different, you know, governance became hard. And that word came into our vernacular in yeah. the space. Mm -hmm. And once he came out with Polkadot, not only did it have on-chain governance, which we all know and love, but it also separated concerns. Like it really put things into specialized groups mm -hmm. of experts, such as parachains, where you have 
a collection of different cultures, similar to how federalism was supposed to work in the US. You have a bunch of different states with their own cultures, they make their own laws, and then you have a federal government that secures those states and facilitates intercommerce trade. Fascinating. So you're at a Bitcoin conference in 2014. At a meetup. Oh, a meet, meetup. Yeah, okay, small yeah. Small meetup. Sure, sure. Okay, yeah. so you've been around for a while. Interesting. How did Gav's ETH talk go? It was amazing. Were the Bitcoiners interested? Yeah. I mean, that was a very different, different time. Different time, yeah. You didn't have these like laser-eyed maxis back right, then. Right. So everyone was very interested. I guess the first question was always, which I had about Ethereum, is like, why can't this be done on Bitcoin? And yeah, yeah. um I remember talking in the IRC chat and Vitalik gave a good, really good answer. And I'm like, okay, it makes sense. And uh, I was just really excited for it because we we know, we all kind of knew at that time, anyone who was really into Bitcoin, that this technology can go a lot further than just payments and, and money, mm-hmm. uh, even though that makes sense as the first use case. And there right. will always be some sort of value in that. <laughs> People were excited. He had even back then, he had this like stage presence and very conviction about uh, you know where th- this technology was going, and a lot of people were very excited to hear that. You said you were working in a Web two company before you started with Parity. Did you work on any blockchain projects in the meantime? Yeah, actually, yeah. before that Web two company. So basically, back then, nobody could spend Bitcoin on anything. Like, right. People, the common question was. So what do I do with it? You know, it's like, well, you can spend it. You can use remittances was the big uh, kind of thing back then. Yeah. And so what one of the projects, the most popular one was called All for BTC, where the company that I was working for, people would buy things on Amazon, pay us in Bitcoin with a small fee, mm-hmm. and we would use our payment traditional payment processes to get, you know, whatever they want on Amazon or eBay and so on. So there was like a lot of demand for that. We saw a lot of miners that like, oh, I can finally use this. And uh, back when the prices were, you know, between 60 and $1,000 and they're buying tons of tons of things. That I wonder what did. Amazon crap is sitting on people's shelves right now worth tens of thousands of dollars. Oh, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> yeah, so I got to work with them, which was really, really fun. And I got a lot of experience and I got into the kind of community here. Cool. Okay. You reached out to Parity um, offering your services. You said you were in communications. Parity had no comms. Well, they did. Uh, there, was, okay. there was somebody working there uh, with me at the time, but shortly left uh, right after. So it was all, like, all on me after oh. about two months of working at Parity. Okay. So I was the only one doing comms at Parity. And our, our kind of focus back then was, yeah, get build some excitement, build a community for Polkadot and obviously continue to do the communications for the the work on Ethereum that Parity was really heavily involved in at the time. Did you end up taking on the multi-sig hack? Yes. Very... How did you deal with that? So I was interested in governance. I had some like debates online and like participated in, you know, the, the Bitcoin soft forking, forking a uh, Bitcoin cash split and all that stuff. So it made sense to me that this should be fixed because mm-hmm you had a very provable way of showing ownership. Everyone who lost access to their funds still had the keys to prove that they owned those funds. Can you give us a quick overview of of what happened there? Somebody uh, was going around and uh, just playing with different wallets. And what they were doing was initiating a call to set themselves as the owner. They were doing this on many, many, many different contracts, just trying things out. 
And unfortunately, nobody was set as the owner of the, the, the parody multisig library. And so they set themselves as the owner of this, this contract, which had all the functions of, it didn't have any money in it. It didn't have any funds of people, but it had all the functions of send, create new multisig, you know, add more members or whatever. And after they set themselves as the owner, they tried to give themselves whatever money was sent to that contract, which was like a dollar. And then they self-destructed it, which deleted it from the blockchain. It's like if I had a, a wallet set up with Parity's multisig, I have the key to my safe, but somebody deleted the lock. I can put the key in, even though the money is in there and I can prove that I own that money, but I can't get it in or out. I can't get it out ever again. So how much was, how much did they lose access to? One of the wallets was the ICO, the Parity uh, Polkadot ICO, and I, I, I forgot the exact amount. It could be about a hundred and forty-four thousand ETH is is stuck in there. Still, how, how would that ever get? So it would get fixed. So this the thing about Ethereum that makes it different than Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So Ethereum goes through upgrades that are routine hard forks. These are planned. And so you would need a hard fork that would simply just put the code back in the place and set nobody as the owner. Uh, uh, and that was done as an EIP, which is like a like an RFC on Polkadot. Yeah. Uh, so EIP 999 was created. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> EIP 999 was, was just simply that. It was, but then it, it got into the social discussion of, will this create a moral hazard where anyone can expect things to get fixed? Mm. Uh, that, that breaks and so on. And that was the debate I participated in by talking, uh, talking to people uh, in the community, you know, participating in uh, Ethereum dev calls and, and trying to get some sort of agreement that would make everyone happy. But I think like at the time, it was just an, an uphill battle from the beginning. Yeah, uh, this could still be done. It could still be fixed if if we just earmark it into the next upgrade. Uh, we can do it, uh, but they don't want to do that. Might give Polkadot a leg up. Yeah, I think that was definitely the sentiment at the time: mm. is that Parity's leaving Ethereum to work on Polkadot. Of course. Why should we help them? Yeah, honestly, kind of makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so I guess the next big milestone was launching Kusama. Would you say? Well, before that, tell me. Yeah, before that. So I remember at the at one of the Energy Web Foundation conferences in Berlin, mm. Gav was going to do a talk, and and this happened a, a, a lot where we weren't exactly sure what he was going to talk about, <laughs> and he introduced the idea of substrate after the idea of Polkadot was already talked about and launched. It's like, okay, we want people to build these parrot chains. How are they going to build them? And mm -hmm. he, and it was me and Afri, another uh, team member at the time. And we were just like sitting there with our jaws dropped, like, wow, this is amazing. This is like a fully flexible framework for building something that is already light client compatible, easy connecting to Polkadot. Um, you can do so many different things. The fact that it had the forkless upgrades in a WebAssembly wrapper. Like these were, this is like space age stuff at the time, but like really amazing. And yeah. we're just like blown away by it. So that was like kind of the first big project is promoting substrates, like getting developers to start building on substrate before even Kusama was even mentioned or anything. Okay. So you're trying to get developers on board with this new substrate idea. I mean, we kind of found out in the meantime that it's a little bit more difficult to build on Substrate than it was anticipated at the beginning. 
Um, what was it like getting developers on board back then? Really getting people on the idea of Polkadot. Okay. Especially. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we you can build a substrate solo chain, which some many teams have done yeah. uh, as well. But to understand the importance of substrate, like how you don't have to, you'd still have to get your own validators and all this stuff. So, you know, I was like, okay, so it's easy, right? Like we're just putting it in the comms. And then once, you know, some people reviewed it, they're like, uh, don't cool it on the easy part. Uh, <laughs> right, it's right. it's going to still take some, some engineering work to get this all to fit together. Because as soon as you add one module, you might have to change a bunch of other things and so on. I see. Beautiful. Okay, so putting it all together here, first big release was was Kusama. Yeah. Okay, this is when I came on board too. Because I heard, okay, th these amazing economics of locking up KSM, right? In lease slots and um, yeah, to the moon, let's fucking go. How did that story develop? Okay. It's funny because we're in the we're in Berlin right now, and this is the room we were actually in planning it out uh, the launch of this. And Gavin's idea was like, let's make it very hacker friendly, experiment friendly. Let's not expect people to be safe on this. This isn't your traditional blockchain. Yeah. That's where the the phrase came out. I can't remember who came up with it, but expect chaos you know and that was the whole thing if we get people to expect chaos yeah then things are going to break and they're they're not going to be disappointed because that is the point of kusama it's a canary network and we wanted the the messaging to be very you know new and edgy and i think it, it i think it was very successful in getting a lot of attention wow. especially even from the ethereum community it has proven very successful uh, we've seen a lot of We've seen the certain hack attempts happen. I've been a part of one myself. What do you mean? I, I like a little testing things out. Yeah. And so me and another coworker at Parity, you could put your name on your account. Anyone could put any name on any account. So uh, me and uh, me and Peter Morick got together and said, "Hey, you know, I think I see an attack vector here." Whereas people could capture the council simply by changing their name to somebody who is who would be voted in. So I changed my name to uh, the CEO at the time, uh, and Peter changed his name to Rob Havermeyer, and within hours we were on the council. <laughs> and then came out of that came out the registrar process. So you have people now who are independent, decentralized people mm -hmm. who can verify are you actually this person you claim to be right so it added to the security overall and that's exactly what kusama was for so that was one time you hacked what yeah. about the sounded like you had another no i, I didn't okay okay uh, uh, that was it <laughs> i would agree with you that kusama has played a lot of important roles here and polkadot is all the safer for it on the other hand especially right now there's a lot of discontent with the lack of chaos or the lack of activity on Kusama. We have some people try to stir the pot and uh, create chaos. Where do you think Kusama's fallen short in its mission? And, and what would you change about Kusama to uh, deliver it back to its initial purpose? Yeah, I think the original vision was to have, as we've seen, you have like sister chains on Kusama for the chains that are on Polkadot. I think that this shouldn't be a long-term strategy. Yeah. And I think we need to see a lot more experimentation and we need to kind of lower the barriers of entry of doing so. With core time coming out, we're going to see a lot of bar barriers be lowered, um, but we still need to definitely work on some things. Uh, I heard in one of the calls, like some deposits on Kusama are just still too expensive for <laughs> tinkerers and, and people, even though slots are cheap, getting a slot still costs 
quite a bit of money. So we need to lower those barriers of entry. I definitely see that the Kusama treasury needs to be maintained with vigilance because it keeps getting, uh, in my opinion, attacked. And uh, we need to see, you know, like the, the precedent set by Hacken was really, really good to kind of... Yeah because that Kusama treasury was seeing a lot of problems. And mm. we learned from that as much as we could in the short time that it was OpenGov was on Kusama where it wasn't on Polkadot, that by the time OpenGov got to Polkadot, uh, people were much more conservative about treasury spending and we didn't see this huge drainage we saw initially with Kusama. Right. That's just one story mm. of how Kusama has helped out. And we've seen other things like security issues, networking issues, that Kusama has been the first one to see those issues. It's done its purpose and continues to do its purpose. Uh, I would like to see more chaos as well. Yeah. And I think um, the barriers of entry just need to be lowered a bit more. So were you still working with Parity when Polkadot launched? Yes. This is when Parity was really at its most. Everyone was super busy doing a lot of stuff. We've worked so hard for so many years um, preparing for this time. Yeah. And it's going to happen. It's finally going to happen. Like, like, okay, like, are we really ready for this? Is this really going to happen? Is it going to work? You know, is it, are people going to be into it? it? How is this going to be used? The, the parachain launches was the real launch in, yeah. in, in, in my view and many others as well. I, I really was excited for that. And especially with this aspect of crowd loans and all that stuff going on, uh, I just, it was, it was amazing. It, it was so cool to be able to participate and kind of choose, help choose which parachains get, get onboarded yeah. um, early on. And we saw a lot of dot go into those as we've seen uh, recently. And there was a, definitely a lot of like, who's going to be the first and a lot of teams trying jockeying to, to be the first parachain and so on. And then, uh, so we had a first batch of five that went really well. And yeah, as you said, it went, Without a hitch, I mean, there's there's definitely been some minor issues, but this is this is how it should be. It's like that what I was saying before. It's a bunch of states in a in a federal union, and that that has been working out really well so far. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the great unlock. It was great to see because uh, it went exactly how I thought it would go. Another yeah. learning from Kusama because the same <laughs> thing happened on Kusama that everyone forgot about. Are you sure we didn't just ride the coattails of Bitcoin? No, 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 not at all. Not, not at all. Not good stuff. In a lot of ways, it was a success, but also since then, the whole architecture of Polkadot's been been rethought. Something about the parachain structure didn't quite fit the full vision or the full potential of what Polkadot could be. It's not even a new architecture, and that's kind of the beauty of Polkadot. It's the same architecture just reimagined that shows how good Polkadot was engineered from the beginning, mm -hmm. that we can go into a totally new direction without tearing anything up. And that's, that's like, that just is a testament to the quality of code that Parity has been building. Have you tinkered with uh, core time this week? Yeah, I haven't bought any bulk core time, but I'm excited about this direction because we finally get para threads, which have been promised for years yeah. and which are now, you know, instantaneous score time. And now the auction model is going away. There's two main categories. It's like how you get on Polkadot mm -hmm. and what you do on Polkadot. Mm -hmm. So how you, what you get in, in the past has been a slot, a parachain slot, mm -hmm. specifically for parachains. Uh, and you get that through an auction model 
that where these auctions go in batches, you're battling with other people to get the same slot, and then you lock that up for everyone's doing it for two years. You don't pay that dot, you lock it, and mm. you, it's a bond. Core time, it's not two years anymore. You get one month at a time. There's no real auction process, uh, and it's uh, what you pay for, you don't get back. Mm -hmm. So we don't know exactly where that money is going to go. There's some debate. Is it going to go some to the treasury? Some's going to be burnt. You know, there's a lot of debate there. Where are you on that issue? I think it should be. I'm, I am one of the most like anti-burn people uh, you, you'll find. What? But yeah. I think this is a good case for burning. So I, I think burning for the sake of uh, favoring early adopters is not the way to go. Mm. But I think burning for utility makes a lot of sense. Cool. And um, yeah, so like fee burning on Ethereum isn't that bad either. Mm -hmm. So you pay for it instead of bonding the dot. And you get this every month. If you need another month after that, you have the right to renew it at a predictable cost. Okay. And that is that is something that's interesting. So within a percentage of what you paid last time, or is it fixed? To... Within a percentage of what you paid last time, it's like a rent controlled function. Yeah, and cool. so the percentage these that's a parameter thing that might change, but uh, yeah. So you you kind of can do a cost calculation uh, depending on the dot price, but of how much it's going to cost every month, and have a pretty good as soon as the the sale ends that you just purchased, you'll have an idea of what the cost will be the next time. You can also get it in another way, which is instantaneous core time, mm -hmm. which we've been hearing about as para-threads or pay-as-you-go para-chains, mm -hmm. where excess cores that are unsold or teams that have excess cores can put it into a pool, and then I can just get a block at a time and pay for a block at a time. Mm. I could have a para-chain that says, you know, if we get a threshold of a hundred transactions, then we we get a a block, a pay as you go block, or instantaneous yeah, right. block, okay. or whatever. So you can do a lot of more fun things and experiments, and the, the surface area is expanding vastly. Wow. Now, what do you do with it? In the past, you're a parachain. Mm. That's it. You can only be a parachain, do parachain things. Okay, okay? which is pretty expansive. You can do a lot with a parachain, mm -hmm. but there is a new direction. Uh, Gav's talk from Protocolberg goes deeper into this. I recommend people watch that where he talks about core play and core jam. And th right, right. this is going to change everything. Mm -hmm. This turns Polkadot in, from a sharded blockchain into essentially yeah, yeah, yeah. a computer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you can do anything with it. Uh, we, we Many of, of us have seen uh, Basti's tweet about running Doom in the new Polka VM, which <laughs> people are going to do on chain, but it shows the capabilities. You can now run a smart contract mm -hmm. on a core. You can do a ZK proof on a core for much cheaper than anywhere else. You can do other things. Whatever can be programmed can be put on chain. How you get it is different, and what you can do with that is vastly different. On the recent open dev call, Gav kind of made it seem like oh, he's waiting for somebody to shoot down the idea. He wants to know if we should really go for it or whatnot. It kind of seems to me that this is going to happen. It's too exciting not to happen. I've, heard, I've heard some pushback yeah. on this, uh, mostly around how we're going to, the economics of it. So how are we going to, so as I said, you can run something that can fail. How can we measure the kind of w fee weight 
of something like that. Mm. I think everyone wants to see it go this way. So if yeah. we can figure out the economics, uh-huh. uh, this should happen. Speaking of economics, um, so you're building Elastic. We spoke about at the beginning of the show here. This is a marketplace for core time. Who are you building this marketplace for? So Elastic is a marketplace for block space that uses Polkadot core times. This is for obviously like parachain teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to see parachain teams use Elastic to get their cores as well as we also want to see a whole new group of tinkerers start to be able to buy instantaneous core time in a much more user-friendly way. Yeah, right. As well as having people like me, non-coders, be able to participate in a marketplace for core time. That means I can buy a bulk core and then split it up and sell it to other people. And that is something we want to aim for without any technical knowledge. And I think what this will allow, since we have the rent-controlled prices governed by Polkadot, we can now have a secondary marketplace that is free from any of these constraints that might actually guide be a feedback mechanism to the governance of Polkadot to set prices more accordingly fair. And that's something I really want to see is fair prices, uh, things that are tuned for the buyer, tuned for the supplier, the provider, in a way that really makes sense and creates a very frictionless market with high liquidity. Um, there will be a lot of supply. Right. Uh, loads so of supply, right? Loads of supply. But there's plenty of other marketplaces that have plenty of supply that still work out just fine by catering to the right kind of deliverance of the supply where it needs to be. Uh, And we're excited to be building Elastic for that reason. Okay, so I could could have Jay Tirana's bargain basement of instantaneous core time. I could have my own marketplace or my, my own stand in the market where I'm selling core time. And maybe I lock it in for a price today that is much cheaper. You know, I renew every month. It's much cheaper. So than... there's a few constraints on what, what you just said there. So yeah. um, instantaneous core time, you cannot hoard at all. So that that is provided by the system. Oh, so so I, can't, I, I can't turn You my... can't buy a block and hoard it for more than six blocks. But but I mean, I can't I can't buy a month worth, worth and then distribute it as instantaneous? Yes, you can. So okay. that you can do. So you okay. can buy, buy bulk, but and you can buy a bulk month. Yeah. And and split it up however you'd like, yeah. and, and resell that. Mm-hmm. Once you resell it, though, or once you split it up, even you do not have the right to renew. So you're going to have to go back to the open market to get that. So the the renewal oh. process is something for parachains, basically, right? Or or cores that are going to be utilized in a very deterministic, uh, reliable way that they're not going to give any of their their block space up to. You can still buy it the next month and try again. Like you can figure out what the market dynamics learned from the last month, then you're gonna have to go go and buy some more and to, to resell. Okay. So we're talking like I mean you could have like core time futures, right? You could get really complex with this stuff, right? Yeah. We're definitely eyeing a lot of uh types of instruments for this new you have speculation on core time. And now we have speculation on core time and speculation on dot and they're they're interacting, they're connecting. So I mean, you need dot to get core time. Yeah. Uh this is gonna make Polkadot's block space much more valuable. That's what we're aiming for. And it, because it's gonna be attractive not only to to builders who can run parachains, but builders eventually who can do smart contracts and anything else. Um as well as, you know, common people who want to participate in in the marketplace. And that that's going to make this very exciting down the down the road, and and we want to do that. 
this week, um, Penin just released an episode. Um, he was tying like the idea of NFTs into core time, but I guess we're calling them something like they're more like semi fungible, right? They're, they're fungible, but then there's this sort of decay or something like that. Yeah. So at the Protocolberg talk, uh, Gavin said that this might be the first useful NFT we've ever seen because <laughs> I mean, I think people need to separate the idea of NFTs from images. Yeah. And they're much more than that. You know, when I thought of NFTs originally, I thought it made sense for like tracking shipments or provenance and things like that, uh, which we haven't seen too many use cases. We see centrifuges, you mentioned building real world assets. Uh, which is a great use case for NFTs. Core time NFTs, yeah, they're not exactly non-fungible. So they can be split up, mm. pulled apart uh, in, in different ways. So if I buy a bulk core, I get one NFT that says I own from this time to that time. And I can split this up into two pieces that say, well, I get every other block and I give this to you and you get the other corresponding block. So I get block A, you get block B, hmm. and so on. Um, you can do whatever you want. I can just give you one block if I wanted to. So, And that becomes an NFT, whoever represents the ownership of whatever they have. So it is semi-fungible, I guess you could say. For the speculator, if, you're, if you want to trade core time and not utilize it to build, you're going to be at a slight disadvantage always because... The core time decays naturally. If I buy a bulk core to resell, there's a seven period window where the sale occurs. I buy it in that seven period window. And then on day zero, I have to start utilizing that core time for my chain or something. But if I'm just a trader, uh, I'm going to start losing the the quantity of my assets. Like it's it going to remain a month worth of course. I can't just start the core time whenever. It starts at a date. So I, I need to sell it before or find a way to utilize it. Hmm. So it's a different kind of game you're playing with when trading core time. And it's going to be a very exciting one, I think, at that, because we're going to see a lot of activity in, during those times of sale periods where people are going to be having to be brokers and figure out what the best way to deliver this, pro this product to many, many different people will be. And I think a way of, of doing that efficiently would be to get people to, okay, ask for what you need. What, what kind of block space do you need? And they can put that up as, as uh, offers. Hmm. As well as you were talking about like other financial instruments like futures and so on. Um, I mean, we could see that happening right now. The constraint is that uh, core time is only available one month in advance, right. but we're definitely working on ways of extending that from Lastic's perspective. It won't be extended in the system. But we have some ideas of how to solve that. Understood. Okay. I mean, you're working with something really new here. I imagine that the vision of Elastic is going to be Elastic itself, and we're going to see quite a lot of uh, changes on it. What, what's kind of the first basic product we could expect from Elastic? Like, what would that look like? So, my co-founder uh, Aurora Poppy Seed is heading most of the engineering, uh, all of it right now. In mm -hmm. fact, and she's doing an amazing job at like. This is a brand new thing we're working with here. The first thing we want to deliver is a user interface that shows what's going on with this core time. How many cores are there available? How many cores are run by parachains? How many cores are system parachains and so on? These are things that we're going to, the market is going to have to understand in order to participate. And I think obviously getting the user interface to support the base functionality 
is the first step. So buying a core, buying instantaneous core time. Okay. So visualizing what's happening and then making an informed decision based on that. And I think like with core time, we see a very different kind of way to be able to visualize that for people that we're getting very excited to show everyone. And you're going to be able to see in the future what people are not doing right now, but are going to do with core time uh, because they're going to start to be able to forecast their usage. And we're going to be able to see that as just at anyone who wants to visit Lastic. Phil, this is so cool. Very excited uh, that we got to have you on here. See Polkadot from just when it started and now where it's going. It's been a great education to have you here and thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me.